Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello, and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops. And I'm delighted to be welcoming Saeed Amin back to the podcast, who is the co-founder of Turnleaf Analytics, which uses machine learning, alternative data, and new technologies to create economic forecasts and analyze financial markets. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks very much for the invite, and it's, uh, it's great to be back. I wanted to have you on the podcast for a very specific reason. I know that you have been experimenting a bit with chat GPT lately, and this is something that I have become absolutely fascinated by. I'm not alone in this regard. There's been a, a lot of hype lately and a lot of column inches in the press devoted to AI tools. So hopefully this will be a timely episode for our listeners. Just before we dive into the questions, I would just say, for anyone not familiar with ChatGPT, it's an AI chatbot developed by a company called OpenAI. The chatbot has a language-based model that is fine-tuned for human interaction in a conversational manner. What does that mean? It means that you can effectively ask it questions regarding just about anything, and it will produce a detailed response in seconds. Uh, you can also ask it to produce content, and just the same, it will do so in a tiny fraction of the time that a human would take to do it. Said, have I described it fairly accurately there? Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to describe it. Ultimately, it uses natural language generation to come up with its responses. But I, I guess the key behind it is that um, as well as being a model, it's been trained on a massive amount of data. So a lot of data from the web has basically been used essentially to come up with it because um, to train such a large language model, like I guess they call it an LLM these days, the only way to get any insights from it is to have a massive, massive model there to be trained on a large amount of data. It has so many parameters, you need a huge amount of data to train it on to get any usable output from it or, or, or let's say accurate output from it. Okay, so, so part of what differentiates it from what's come before is the scale of data that it's looking at. Or the scale of information? I think partially. You have had very large language models before, um, so it's not new from that aspect. But what you tend to find is that each large language model that comes along is trained on an ever-larger data set. And because it's trained on an ever-larger data set, typically the model is more complex, and it will have many more parameters, essentially, like potentially billions of parameters that need to be fitted for that. So I'd say the basic ground rule is the more complicated the model is, this is regardless of whether it's natural language processing, computer vision or anything, but the more complicated the model is and the more parameters it has, essentially, the more the scale of the data is needed to train it. Gotcha. Now, you looked at a couple of uses for ChatGPT, am I right? One was to ask it programming questions. And the other was to help forecasting economic variables. Can you perhaps just give an overview of your experiences with the usage of each of these? Yeah, so I'd say one thing that we've done uh, with ChatGPT is just ask it questions. So typically what you do is uh, if you want to do something from a coding perspective, obviously you try and do it yourself, but then you might need to look up on the web essentially at various libraries that can help you with this. So Typically, what you do is you look it up and then maybe you might have some questions, say, on the programming website and they come up and it kind of gives you hints and suggestions on which libraries you should use, maybe which types of commands you can use. So from that perspective, you can ask chat GPT a question like, how do I align a time series? It will come up with some code in Python, typically using a library like Pandas that will kind of write it out for you. One thing that we have found, though, is that can be useful, but you need to check the code. <laughs> you can't just copy and paste the code and assume it will work. It might have some like, yeah. very subtle bugs associated with it. So 
it is useful, but you kind of need to know what you're doing. And I'd say the main thing is you need to know the right questions to ask it in order to kind of have the right outputs. So yeah, those are the key things. You need to ask the right questions. In terms of like asking it, can you forecast inflation, which is what our company at Neef Analytics does, it can give you an insight into say, what are the factors that drive inflation? It will write them down for you, but it's not necessarily going to give you a number at the end of the day. And I'm pretty sure the creators probably don't want it to (laughs) to give you a number. (laughs) But it it can kind of explain what are the things you look at. So it can say like money suppliers and inputs or past lags of CPI, but it's not necessarily going to forecast the number. So I would say that chat GPT is more of of a tool. But we do use natural language processing when we come up with our inflation forecast. We do look at news data, say, related to inflation to come up with our forecast. But that is a slightly different angle that we use. But we still use text data. We don't necessarily use chat GPT to forecast. It's more there is benefit in text that we would say for forecasting inflation. I think your point about asking the right questions is an interesting and important one. And I think maybe we'll touch on the role of the importance still of the human element there in this. But obviously, if the AI is not directed in the right way, you're not going to get the right answers, correct? Yeah, you need to be able to ask the right questions, I would say. I'd say that's true of any sort of financial modeling in general. In FX, you want to ask a question like, what's the most important time of the day? But you need to have some insight into what FX markets do to ask that type of question. So you're not blindly certain. You kind of need to have a hypothesis to begin with before you go there, essentially. Okay. My sense is that when most people think about AI trading, they instinctively envision some form of black box trading, where a system is pulling online data from all over the place to execute trading decisions with no human interaction, direction, or perhaps most scarily for some people, oversight. But I think the reality is a bit different and a bit more nuanced. So we could see AI used as a tool to help portfolio managers make the actual trading decisions. We could see traders using pre-trade data and AI to help making execution decisions. We could see buy-side firms using AI to net flows from different funds in an optimal way, etc., etc. The point I'm getting at is there's lots of potential areas within the trading process where AI could potentially help. Where do you see this technology having the biggest impact? Well, like you say, it could be in many different places. So one could be at the execution level. So you might have some algorithms essentially executing trades. It could be like working the trade over a period of time. You might have some machine learning in that, for example, to help forecast where spots likely to be going and using that as an input for slicing and dicing your trade. So that's one aspect in terms of execution. The second could be uh, from a like a trader perspective, it could be like to summarize news. That's not trading per se, but it's using natural language processing to do that. So you could have maybe a chat GPT style model, which had online learning. So it was continually getting access to news as opposed to kind of like a static model. Uh, you could, from a machine learning perspective, have it in portfolio allocation, like you're saying. So the traditional way would be to have like some sort of Markovitz model. What about having some sort of machine learning approach? But one thing I would say is that with execution, you get massive amount of data, very, very high frequency data there. So that's kind of amenable to machine learning per se. But as you're getting less and less data, it becomes more complex and more difficult to use the more complicated models of machine learning. So when we're forecasting inflation, we don't use deep neural nets because there's not enough data basically to (laughs) to train a model, which is very, very complex, essentially. So instead, you'll end up using kind of the simpler machine learning models to do that. And you need to, again, direct the search. 
So we can't just tell the system, go and forecast something. You need to kind of direct this. And in particular, you need to have the right data. So if you don't have the right data already collected and then kind of in a nice format and pre-transformed, essentially, you can't really use a, a data-driven approach, I would say, in general. So the key is to having the data there. That's the key. That's also applicable if you're looking at, for example, doing, say, TCA or something like that. You need to have all of your trade data arranged in a nice way in a database. If your trade data is in random places and it's not in a database, <laughs> there's no way you can gather any sort of insights from that. So it, I would say the key to all of this is having the right data and properly collected and put in a, in a format that can be used for training to begin with. So maybe let's drill down into that a little bit. I feel like whenever I have these type of conversations with people, it's only a matter of time before someone trots out the phrase garbage in, garbage out when it comes to data. But I mean, there is a reason for this, right? As you say, having the right data is very important. In the blog you wrote about your experiences using ChatGPT, you talked about the importance of curation data and having the right data to hand. For you personally, I mean, at Turnleaf, what are the big data challenges that you have to overcome to effectively forecast inflation as you do? Well, the, the key difficulty we have is we use data from many different sources. So we might have macroeconomic data. We have a lot of market data. We have a lot of alternative data as well, whether it's pollution or news data, etc. So the key is you need to not only collect the data, but you need to clean the data. Sometimes the format of the data changes. So one example is we have thousands of variables, basically, that we collect. I think one of them was like Japanese fish prices. And the data had been rescaled. So it was being collected and it was displayed in like hundreds of yen versus thousands of yen. And you had jumps. So we had to actually fix that and we had to clean that. That's one example of that. Also in terms of like rebasing of indices as well. So you have lots of these things which might be like one-off things. And they're quite difficult to actually deal with. But we have we have a whole team of people basically looking at the data and checking it. So you might have automated processes for doing this. And I would say machine learning would be a great place to apply data cleaning to, but you still need a person there to go and read that, okay, the data has been changed because it's rebased as different units. So I would still say there's some element of human interaction there that's needed in that. And the more data sets you have, the more cleaning you need to do, the more that you need to do some sort of pre-transformation work on that. Yeah, cleaning the data is really very important. Are there some data sets that are easier to handle and use effectively than others? You talked about, you know, in FX, there's obviously a massive amount of data and there's lots of market data everywhere. You're talking about skipping over to the forecasting side. You know, you're looking at a wide variety of data sets, right? There's unstructured data, structured data, et cetera. Is there some that's easier to take and apply AI tools to than others? Well, I would say you use different sorts of models. So if you're using, for example, very, very high frequency data, potentially there you can use more complicated models. But the flip side is if you're trying to use a complicated model and you're doing execution, then you're limited by latency. So if you have a really, really complicated model and it takes 10 seconds to, to come spit out an answer, then obviously from an execution perspective, that's a very, very long time there. So you do have some constraints there as well, the, the short side. So the data there is not so much a constraint, but then latency might be a constraint. If we're forecasting, latency is not a constraint. If the model takes 10 minutes, 15 minutes, et cetera, it's not really a problem. So I'd say wherever you look, you might have some sort of constraints. But you're right in that when you have high frequency data and price data, it's going to be kind of more structured. 
But even then, you'll have complexity because you'll have price data from different parts of the book. And then you've got to kind of reconstruct that and, and, and so, so on. So your complexities with data are kind of different depending upon your scale. But yeah, you don't need to convert text to <laughs> to numbers. That's not something that you need to do with price data, essentially. It's already a numerical format. It's already a time series. So you're already some way there, essentially. But I would say there, the main issue is like the volume. Right. And I want to ask you a quick question about terminology, because we've used a few phrases, you know, obviously AI, machine learning, natural language processing. I remember I was speaking once to uh, an algo team at a bank and the topic of AI came up. And, um, you know, we were talking about how it become a bit of an industry buzzword. And uh, one person on the algo team quipped that um, when most people talk about machine learning, they're talking about something that exists on an Excel spreadsheet. And when they're talking about AI, they're talking about something that exists in a PowerPoint presentation. Do you think that terms like AI and machine learning, are they well understood and represented in financial markets today? I think the thing is they, they could cover a broad array of different things. So with machine learning, you could say that a linear regression drawing a line of best fit through a cloud of points, you could say that's machine learning. <laughs> like ultimately, you're still making some sort of inference, yeah. but equally like a deep neural net or something which is very complicated is also machine learning. So Machine learning can be applied to a whole scale of different sorts of models, but they capture different nuances of a problem. A linear regression is not going to really be able to capture nonlinearities, essentially. So you need to kind of use a more complicated model if you have nonlinear relationships. So, yeah, ultimately, a lot of it is probably misunderstood or overused. And potentially, it could mean many, many different things. And AI in general is even more broader term. Right. So that's even more difficult to kind of nail down as a, as a, as a concept. Thinking about how we define AI, I've heard people make the case that AI today isn't really intelligent. It's basically just optimization of processes on a scale that would be impossible for a human to achieve. Which leads me to wonder, do we sometimes confuse automation and AI in financial markets? I would argue it is automating a process, whichever way you look at it, uh, in terms of AI. But you're just automating more and more complicated processes. So you could automate like an Excel spreadsheet. That could be one thing, like dragging down. That's like a <laughs> simplest automation. Yeah. I'm not saying that's machine learning or anything, but that's, that's the first step to automation, automating an Excel spreadsheet. But then you're, if you're automating also like text prompts and things like that, obviously it gets more complicated. But ultimately, it's still automating a process. We talked about labels before then. I guess these are kind of just broader and broader terms, right? AI, automation means lots of things and there's different subsets within each. Yeah, I would I would say that's the case. But I think sometimes people leap towards AI and ML and they still have like hundreds of manually updated Excel spreadsheets. Right? <laughs> so, so I would argue if you want to go towards that stage, it's probably a lot more cost effective to begin with to just try and automate a lot of your manual processes. And maybe later on, you can think about kind of the more complicated processes to automate. But ultimately, if you think of a trader's day, like historically, I remember like in banks, you'd have like people, I'm sure you still do, like manually booking trades and, and things like that. That's a real, real sap on time. If you can have like straight through processing, that's not really AI or anything, but it's, it's probably the first thing that you would do. I agree. And this is a conversation that we have frequently with the firms that we partner with at 360T. We always emphasize that automation is a process, and while we can support things like sophisticated, high-precision, no-touch execution, this typically isn't the starting point of people's FX automation journey. There are steps that they need to take to build up to that. 
Yeah, and I'd say even then, you want to have something that's interpretable by people if you use the model. So one thing that we often find is that we are we using machine learning to do our inflation forecasts and, and the like, but ultimately our forecast is a, is a number that's interpretable by people. And even then, we, we have like a, a breakdown to show people what's driving the forecast. But I think this is an important point as well. It's not only necessarily the case that you want to have like a good output or result, but you need to be able to explain that to people. I think that's a really important point. Bring the conversation back to FX here, right? If I ask ChatGPT for advice on how to build an FX hedging program, it's going to go and scour the internet for reports, articles, blogs, and various sources, and say, produce a concise list of things I should consider, right? But this comes back to what we were talking about before about different data sets, right? This is all static data, basically, that is available to anyone with an internet connection that's finding. By contrast, when we think about FX, the sort of the data that I might need to help construct, like a, to do a trade effectively, the data is fragmented. Sometimes it's opaque or in hard to access places across different platforms. It's also a very fast moving marketplace, right? So the market data is changing all the time. So does FX as a marketplace present any unique challenges for AI as a technology? Well, the thing is, if you don't have sufficient data, you can't trade the model. So that's the key point. If you don't have access to the data, you can't train a model. So there will be lots of data that is not available to everyone. So if you're a big market maker, you'll have data essentially from all the flow essentially that you can see. That flow is not necessarily something that everyone else can see. So that data is something that you have, which potentially other people don't have. So there is something to be said for the fact that people will have different data sets essentially within FX. There's not all public data. So yeah. um, you don't have like a tape or anything like that. And I don't see that changing anytime soon. So, yeah, people have different data sets for training their models, ultimately. That's a key outcome. But is the logical conclusion of that then, right? If I have more data available to me, and you know, as the market moves to kind of increasingly using AI, I have more data available to me. I can train my models better. I can become more effective. I win more market share. I have more data available to me. Does it become this kind of virtuous circle of whoever has the most data becomes the most successful? I would say in general, the more flow you have, the more you'll be able to internalize. You can also say the more data you have, the kind of the more insights you'll be able to gather from that and the kind of the better service that you'll be able to deliver ultimately. But yeah, that's the nature of the business. Kind of the more flow you have, the, the more advantageous it is for you. Right. And, and one thing that we've touched on a few times here, but I want to kind of ask you specifically about is the role of the human trader, right? You know, at 360T, we always talk about automation tools kind of enhancing the abilities of the human trader, not replacing them. As I first started using ChatGPT, I remember at first I thought it was a bit of fun, you know, posing it difficult questions to see what it could and couldn't do. Then I became a little terrified because I've decided that AI is definitely taking my job in a few years. And now I've come full circle where I regard it as kind of a functional tool that I sometimes use to help me more quickly find information that I need. So obviously, you know, you use this technology a lot in your job. I mean, how do you see it or not kind of changing the role of the human in the trading process? I think the human in the trading process, their abilities, again, the ability to curate, they are ultimately the ultimate curators in the process. So they are the ones that are going to look at the right data sets. They are the ones that are going to purchase the right data sets. They're the ones that are going to build the relationships with the right counterparties. So they ultimately have to make that decision. But ideally, they don't want to spend their time doing stuff which is kind of manual work. They want to be doing stuff which is kind of like higher value. 
I want to be spending time to think about how we can improve our forecasts, how we can find new data sets. And we're continually doing that process in terms of when we're forecasting inflation. I probably don't want to be copying and pasting stuff off PDFs. <laughs> We've automated a lot of that, actually, using like machine learning tools and stuff like that. But that's the stuff I don't necessarily want to be doing. But you want to minimize that as much as possible and to try and spend your time curating. That's where I think the value of, of humans is. And also in providing a narrative and, and explanations. So even if a, a spot trader is not necessarily sitting there manually executing the whole time for clients, clients want to come to them to understand what their feel of the market is. And that's a lot of value that they can bring on a market making desk, I would say. Not necessarily quoting euro dollar in, in like one buck or something like that. That's right. probably not something that they want to spend time doing. One last question before I let you go, which is, do you think the use of AI tools, and I know that as we discussed, this is a big umbrella term, do you think that the increased usage of them in financial markets and, and FX trading is just sort of inevitable going forward? Yeah, because you, you've already seen that aspect. So one point which has made this inevitable is the fact that the market is fairly electronic now. So you have a lot of data. If the market is all manual, then you have less data points basically to play with. It takes a lot more time to kind of book trades, et cetera. But given you have all this straight through processing and et cetera, now you have a massive data set for people to use and you have many more points to quote as well because you have continual quoting from machines, et cetera. So that, that is generating a lot of data which can be used to train models now. Saeed, thank you so much for joining me today. Lots of interesting information on a topic that, as I say, is fascinating to me and I think many other people at the moment. So I appreciate you uh, stopping by to lend your expertise to the podcast. No, thanks again for the invite. And I yeah, hope to be on uh, <laughs> sometime in the future as well. So I'm, sure, the third I'm sure time. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, please do join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the 360T podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings.